Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message, that it draws you closer to Jesus and helps you become more like Him. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. For those He foreknew, He also predestined to conform into to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Praise be to God. So we're in this uh, third message in this series called Welcome Home. We're walking through our mission and values as a church. Just to understand who God's called us to be and to understand the values that are at the center of everything that we do. And so uh, we began by talking about the family of God and how Jesus calls us into a family. He doesn't just save individuals, but he calls us to be part of a people, a family that's rooted in the blood of Jesus, rooted in the person of Jesus, and united around him. And then now last week we talked about gathering, the importance of gather. So our mission statement is gather, grow, and go. We, that's what we do as a people of God. We gather together, we grow into the image of Jesus, and then we go and we take his good news to everyone in every place. And so last week we talked about the importance of gathering and what the early church did when they gathered and how when we gather as the church, the ideal is that we are a place where sin has no impact anymore. That's the ideal. Now, we're not going to live perfectly into that because we still have sin in our lives, but that ultimately what Jesus is calling us to be is a community of people who exhibits to the rest of the world what it's like to live in a place where the curse of the fall has no power anymore because that's what Jesus has freed us from. And so we talked about that last week, and now we talk about the second word in our mission statement, grow. Together we grow. As we gather together and as we worship Jesus together, we grow into the image of Jesus. Now, when I was growing up, I, had a, I was blessed to have a lot of friends and a lot of family who knew and loved Jesus deeply and who walked with me and, and helped me to understand how to follow him. I, I was really privileged to be able to grow up with a lot of people who knew and loved our God. And I realize that's not the case for a lot of people. But if I had to boil it down, there are two men in my life who had the greatest impact. My, my two primary role models as I walked out my faith in Jesus were my grandpa, my mom's dad, who was just one of the most loving, funny, silly, hardworking guys I've ever known. Uh, and my pastor, my childhood pastor, Nathan. Now, I had a special relationship with him because he would pick me up to take me to school uh, for a while when I was at the, the private school that met at our church. So I got to spend a lot of time with my pastor. Now, neither of these men were perfect in any way. They had faults just like all of us, and some of them glaring, all right? Just so you know, pastors were not perfect, I know that you guys think I'm like amazing, right? And I like glow with holiness, but it's just not true. Ask my wife, ask my kids, ask my brother. Um, We're not perfect. But these men in my life, my grandfather and my pastor Nathan, they are the ones who are largely responsible for the fact that I follow Jesus even today. They're the ones who are responsible for the fact that I am here. They're the ones that God used to shepherd me toward Jesus, even as a very, very young man and as I was growing up. 
And, and I think the reason that they were so impactful in my life was because they weren't doing anything for themselves. These were and are two of the most selfless men I've ever known. And they just wanted to be like Jesus. And I can, I can hold them up as role models and I can honor them as role models, even with all of their faults, because I knew they wanted to be like Jesus. And so the, we start with a question today, right? Are the people that you most want to be like striving to be like Jesus? Is the person that you most want to be like trying to be like Jesus? Because if they're not, they're not a role model. If they're not, they're not somebody you want to follow. If the people you most admire and you most want to emulate in your life are not striving themselves after Jesus, then they're not a role model for you. It's time to find a new one. If your mentors in the world are not striving to be like Jesus, they don't need to be mentors to you. And that goes for any sphere of life. Absolutely any sphere of life. Business, sports, whatever it is, if the person that you are looking up to as a mentor does not have becoming like Jesus as the center of their priorities, then you, they don't need to mentor you. Because a mentor in any other field, we do a good job of, of compartmentalizing our lives so we think, okay, I can be good in business, I can be good in my work, I can be good at this thing or that thing or that thing, and then I can also be good at being spiritual. But following Jesus doesn't work that way. Following Jesus is a whole life commitment. So if our mentors are really great at business, but they don't follow Jesus, then their priorities will be different from yours. And they can't mentor you. If your mentor, if your coach is really great at sports, really amazing at what you're doing, but they don't have following Jesus as their primary priority, then they can't really mentor you. Not in every sphere, not in every way. The people that we most want to be like ought to want to be like Jesus. If we're followers of Jesus, we need to be pursuing those mentors and those role models who are pursuing Jesus with everything that they've got, who are trying more than anything to be conformed to the image of Christ as we're told in our scripture here. Those are the people we need to be pursuing as mentors and as leaders. Now, this does not mean, I'm not saying you need to have no relationships with people who don't follow Jesus, but the influential people in your life who are guiding you, who are leading you, had better be if you're a follower of Jesus. This is what the Apostle Paul himself says in Corinthians when he says to this divided Corinthian church, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Jesus. And the negative to that is, Follow me, and anywhere that I'm not following Jesus, don't follow me. Follow me to the extent that I'm pursuing Jesus. Because he is the one we ought to be pursuing with everything that we've got, if we are his followers, if we are his people. And that's what our text gets to today. That's why we focus on this text for this, for this word, grow, for this mission of growing into Jesus. The very center of this text says that he Foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You know what that means? God's highest aim for you and for me is to look like Jesus in everything that we do. To be conformed to the image of Jesus. I meet mean, a lot of people who are, who are 
kind of aimless in their spiritual lives. And these are not just college students. These are not just young people. I know, I know people across the board, across the ages, who are aimless in their spiritual lives. They may have had success in certain areas. They may have been looked up to and admired in many different realms, and yet spiritually, they're just wandering. They're lost. They're not sure where God wants them. And the question is always like, what does God want for me? And I'm telling you that right here is the answer. God wants for you to be conformed to the image of Jesus. He wants you to look like Jesus in every aspect of your life, regardless of what else you're doing. Everything that we do ought to be done as though Jesus were doing it. That's God's goal for us. That's God's aim for us individually, and it's his aim for us as a community. This is why the New Testament calls the church the body of Christ. We get to collectively be Jesus to everybody around us. We get the privilege of being Jesus individually and corporately together as we go out into the world. That's God's highest aim. So let's start here with verse 28. Paul says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Now, just before this, he's been talking about the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, if that's a weird language to you, the Holy Spirit is the person of God, is the manifestation of God that comes to earth to fill up his people when Jesus is no longer here. That may be itself confusing to you, right? Jesus is on earth. He's walking with people. Jesus is a rabbi. He's got followers. He's teaching them what it's like to live and to be faithful to God. And then right before Jesus dies, Jesus goes to his closest followers and he says, hey guys, I'm leaving you, but I'm going to send somebody else and it's going to be better because I can't be with all of you at all times. I can't be in a physical body everywhere at all times. So I'm instead going to send you the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, to live in and with and through you and empower you to live like I've been teaching you. And that's who the Holy Spirit is. And so here in chapter 8, the Apostle Paul has been talking about the Holy Spirit and who the Holy Spirit is and how the Holy Spirit works in the church and how the Holy Spirit works when we pray and when we ask for help. And he acknowledges in this very chapter, look, we are weak. We can't do everything. We are imperfect. That's why God has given us his spirit to work in and through us, to help us, to pick up the other end of what we cannot carry. And then he jumps in in 28, verse 28. Now we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now you may be here and think, look, I've been following Jesus a long time and things are not working out for good right now. Like, you, you don't know my life, Brandon, but it ain't working out for good right at the moment. In fact, it's been pretty terrible. It's been pretty awful. Like, life kind of sucks right now. What do you mean it all works out for good? Because I don't see that. And you'd have a point. I mean, this is very much what some of the early Christians, the, the, the charge that they leveled against God that the Apostle Paul was writing to so often in the New Testament was Christians who were like, hey, life was supposed to get better, and it's actually gotten harder. Life was supposed to get better with Jesus, and somehow I'm struggling more now. I've lost my friendships. I've lost my business contacts. All I've got are these other followers of Jesus, and they're facing the same suffering I am. So what's the deal here? And this is why Paul is ensuring them, look, the Holy Spirit is with you in your struggling and in your suffering. And things will ultimately work out to the good of all who are called by God, 
of all who love God. Things will work out, but it will require patience and endurance. That's what so much of this central part of the book of Romans is about. Is that, yeah, things look hard right now, but don't worry because God is working things out on your behalf. He's working things out for your good. Right now, your circumstances look awful. Right now, life is hard. Right now, there is pain. But the Holy Spirit is working things out for your good. And though you can't see it, he has never stopped working for you. God is for you. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what pains you're dealing with, no matter what you've done in life, God is for you. That's a promise you can take to the bank. It's a promise that you can share with absolutely anybody, regardless of who they are or where they are. You can let everybody know that God is for you. He proved it on that cross. He proved it when Jesus came, left heaven, left perfection, left glory, left a throne where he was worshipped by angels to come and walk the world as you and me to show us how to live and ultimately to die on behalf of our sins to rise again to give us new life. God proved that he is on your side in that act, in being Jesus. God is for you no matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, and he wants to work things out for your good. If only you will love him. If only you will turn your heart toward him. He promises that all things will work out. Because if nothing else, you are promised a resurrection future. If nothing else, you are promised relief from death. If nothing else, you are promised eternal life with him beyond the pains of this world where nothing of the earth can affect you. But as we talked about last week, in the meantime, the ideal for the church is that in our sufferings, in our pain, as we walk alongside one another, one of our, some of our excesses cover other people's lacks. Whether that's physical and material or whether that's emotional and spiritual, whatever it is, as God has blessed us, we bless one another so that within the church we all rise together. And so God has given us one another to rely on, to build upon. He's given us his Holy Spirit to work in us, to give us hope, to give us power to live like Jesus. He's given us one another to fulfill one another's needs. And he's given us the promise of resurrection that even death cannot stop his people. And those things are enough to carry us through the darkest nights. And so he wants you to know all things will work together for your good. God is working on your behalf right now, even if you can't see it. And then he goes on in 29. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. You can know that God is on your side. You can know that God is behind you, that God is working toward your good because those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Paul is saying, look, God saw you coming before you ever saw him. God saw you coming before you ever knew him. God knew you intimately before you ever turned an eye toward him. Now think on that, what that means. It's not as though, in this case, God is just some stranger you haven't stumbled upon yet. It's not as though God is some guy at the restaurant who you just haven't sat down to dinner with yet. 
Right? God is not just some, some person who you haven't, you haven't been introduced to. When God foreknows us, when God sees us before we come to him, we are his enemies. We're not just strangers. We're not just people he hasn't met. We are enemies to God when he foreknows us. When it says God knew you beforehand, knew you before you looked to him, knew you before you had faith to him. What it means is God looked at you when you were his enemy. And when you were his enemy, he predestined you to be conformed to the image of Jesus. So God looked at you, who spat in his face. God looked at me, who rejected him, who turned away from him. God looked at me in all of my sin and in all of my rejection of him and said, you know what? I want him to be like Jesus. You got enemies in your life? You, you got any enemies at all? What's your attitude toward them? What do you think of them? What do you hope for your enemies? That's a weird question, huh? What do you hope for your enemies? What do you hope on their behalf? When God looked at you as his enemy, he hoped you would become like Jesus. When God looked at you as his enemy, he hoped that you would become like him, that you would love like him, that you would live like him, that your sin would be washed away, that you would become like God. When God looked at you as his enemy, you who had brought nothing but drama to his table, you who had said, nope, I don't need you. I'm good on my own. When God looked at you, he said, I want you to be like me. I want to love you. I want to wrap you up. I want to hold on to you. I want to die for you. Understand what it means when Paul says, God foreknew you. There's a whole lot packed into that word. God knew you and loved you when you ignored him, when you turned your back on him, when you said, I don't need you. God knew you and loved you when you spat at him. God knew you and loved you when you were angry at him. God knew you and loved you when you were hurting other people. God knew you and loved you when you were judging other people. God has always known you. God has always loved you. And more than anything else, God has always wanted you to be like Jesus. That's what the cross tells us. That's what the life and ministry of Jesus promises us. That God has known us from before we knew ourselves. God has known us from when we were his enemies and has always desired to move us toward himself. That's God's desire for you. That's God's desire for me. That we would be conformed to the image of his son. Now, everybody's created in God's image which means everybody has inherent dignity and worth and value. Every single person on this planet is already made to image God, made to be like God. And Paul here goes one step further. Take all that inherent dignity and worth, all that image of God in which you are already created, and God wants to shape it into the image of Jesus so that we live and love and serve and give as Jesus has, so that we lead as Jesus has, so that we love as Jesus has. Because here's the other piece of God's foreknowledge of you. God knows 
that you not only were his enemy. It wasn't just that God looked at you as his enemy and said, I want you to be like Jesus. God saw within each of us a potential we could never possibly have imagined for ourselves. God looked at us broken. God looked at us angry, sinful, rejecting him. God looked at us and said, I want to love you, and you are more amazing than you could ever possibly imagine. You are worth more than you could ever possibly imagine. And today, maybe that's exactly what you need to hear. Maybe those are the words that really need to sink into your soul this morning. You are worth more. You're worth more than whatever circumstances are facing you right now. You're worth more than whatever pain you're feeling. You're worth more than whatever that person called you. You are worth so much more than whatever has ever been said about you. You are worth more. Your capabilities, your potential is infinitely greater than you have ever imagined infinitely greater than you have ever imagined. And that's where he points us to in these last verse, in this last verse. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Now that's that's good news. So let's 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 walk through this, right? Those he predestined. Now there are lots of arguments about this word. There are lots of ways to understand it. You can understand it on an individual level that God has predestined every single individual to either heaven or hell. You can understand it on a corporate level that God has predestined the church, that is his body on earth, to be with him. However you understand it, God looked at his enemies and said, I've got a destiny for you. I've got an end point for you. I've got an end game for you that you can't even imagine. God looked at you and said, I want him to be like Jesus. And chose you. Chose you for himself. Now here's here's the deal. God doesn't need us. God is perfect and holy and complete in his own being. God is the most secure being that has ever existed. There's no insecurity in God. There's nothing in God that says, hey, I really need these people to worship me. And if they don't, I just don't know what I'm going to do with myself. There's none of that in God. right? God knows who he is. He is the most secure being in existence. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. And that is the basis of the good news. He doesn't need us, but he wants us. He wants us so desperately. One of the words that is used over and over in the Hebrew scriptures to talk about God's love for us is the word chesed. In fact, I have it tattooed right here, chesed. Because I want to be reminded of God's love for me. I want to be reminded of what that word means. Chesed is covenant love. Chesed is choice love. Chesed is, I love you simply because you are. I love you because you exist and I want you and I choose to love you. It's parent love. You don't need your kids. Sometimes we'd be a little freer without our kids. But I love my kids. I don't need them. They're a drain in every way. But I love them. They fill up my heart with joy. I love spending time with them. We went on a trip this past week. We went to Southwest Colorado, and it was gorgeous. Now, my daughter is wonderful in so many ways. I love her dearly, but she cares nothing for scenery. And we're driving around the San Juan Mountains, and we're just looking up everywhere, and it's gorgeous. 
I mean, it is amazing. And Maggie's like, ooh, look at, the, look at that screen. I, I just want to play a game on my screen. I'm like, come on, girl. Like, we are surrounded by some of the most beautiful scenery in the country. And then, of course, inevitably, in the trip, there comes the whining. We're trying to enjoy our trip. We're trying to look at the scenery. We're trying to just see everything. And my kids do what kids do. They whine. They complain. And there are so many times you would think, like, man, this trip would be a lot more fun without you. Let's be real here, okay? If you're parents, you're, you're, you're like, yeah, yeah, exactly, right? If you're not a parent, you're like, he's terrible dad. That just proves you're not a parent yet. But that trip wouldn't have been half as enjoyable without them. Even in the moments of their frustration, even in the moments of their whining, even in the moments when I'm like, man, I wish you would just be quiet and let me enjoy the glory of God's creation. Even in that time, that whole trip wouldn't have been nearly as enjoyable without them without seeing Maggie's face light up when she held a baby alligator at the alligator farm. Yes, there's an alligator farm in Colorado. Without hearing the joy in their voices, without spending the time with them, because I love them, because I want them, because they fill up my heart and they bring joy to my life, and that is how God feels about you. That's what his chesed is. That's what his love for you is. I don't need you, and sometimes you're annoying. And sometimes you're frustrating. Just read the Old Testament. Read the prophets. God tells his people that an awful lot. Hey, you guys don't really get it, and you're kind of getting on my nerves, but I love you anyway, and I still choose you. That's the love that God has for us. I choose you regardless of your attitude toward me in the moment. I choose you regardless of how you're behaving. I choose you regardless of how entitled you seem right now. I choose you always. God chooses you. You are of inestimable worth. You bring joy to God's heart. He does not need us, but he wants us. Oh, so badly. That's why he made us, and that's why he calls us. And so here Paul says, and those he predestined, that is, those he chose, those he said, you are mine, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. So God says, I choose you, and I'm going to call you to myself. Through the cross of Jesus Christ, through the message of his gospel, through his resurrection, through the people that he sent out to share this good news, God has called every one of us to himself. And when he calls us and we respond, he justifies us. He says, you are holy. You are good. You are righteous. He says all of those things over us that we doubt about ourselves. He says all of those things over us because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done that we could never gain for ourselves. God says you are good and you are right and you are holy. And he gives us all of Jesus' own status in his own mind. He adopts us into his family. He is the greatest father there could ever be. Because when he adopts us, he doesn't see us as something different from his own kids. He doesn't see us as something different from, from Jesus. He wraps us up into his family and gives us the same status as Jesus Christ. God calls us and he justifies us and says, look, 
anything that might have ever been held against you is wiped off the table. And not just anything that might have been held against you, but now I give you all the things you could never get for yourself. I give you my love. I give you righteousness. I give you holiness. I give you my Holy Spirit. I give you God to live within you. I give you all the gifts that you could never deserve. And so God foreknows us. He predestines. He calls us. And when he calls, he justifies us. And then comes the best part. And then he glorifies us. And this is the point where God says to you, you don't even know what you're worth. You don't even know the value of your life. You don't even know the potential that you have. Do you know what it is to be glorified? We use that term in the church. If you grew up in the church, like glory. Yes, I want to be after God's glory. I'm all about glory. But, but we never define it. It's just this word that kind of floats around out there. Like you're supposed to just know what it means. And if you're from certain traditions, you, you distinguish different kinds of glory. I need the Shekinah glory of Jesus, you know. Like, but we never define it. God's glory is everything that God is on display. It's the light that shines forth from God. God's glory is his beauty. It is his cre character. It is who he is. It's like saying holy. God's glory and God's holiness are inseparable. I've said it before, holiness or holy is just an adjective for God. It's a way of saying God is something completely other from anything else we have ever experienced in our lives, anything else we could ever name or define. God is holy, he's different, he's distinct, he's other, he is God. And God's holiness is his glory. It's everything that makes God different from us, everything that makes God perfect, and everything that makes God righteous, and all of his character and his love, that's his glory on display for all of us. In Colossians 1, we read that Jesus is the embodiment of the glory of God. He is all of God's character on display for us. So when, when we're told here that those he predestined, he called, and those he called, he justified, and those he justified, he glorified, what it's saying is he's making you like God. He's molding us into the very character of our God on display in Jesus Christ. When God calls us to himself, he doesn't just wipe our slate clean and say, okay, now go and live your life. Now go and do your thing. Yeah, you, 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 you've, been, you've been forgiven of your sin. Now go and, and just do as you will. He doesn't leave us where we are. He loves us too much for that. He loves us too much to leave us in the state that we were in. And instead, God begins to move us to look more like Jesus. He begins to move us and, and to shape us to become more like Jesus in every way. That's what it means to be glorified. It means to, like the Apostle Paul just said, be conformed to the image of Christ. Now, this is a twofold work. Because you read these verses, and who's the one who does the work here? Who is the subject of these verses? It's not you, and it's not me. It's God. It's the Holy Spirit of God working within us. It's Jesus on display for us. It's the Father, God, orchestrating our salvation, orchestrating our glorification as he makes us look like himself. But if you go on and you read the rest of Romans and you continue reading 
the New Testament, you learn that this is a partnership we have with God. That this glorification, this work of making us more like Jesus, this is a partnership that we have. God begins the work. God indwells us. God empowers us to the work. We got to do our side. We got to do our part. He has empowered us to actually act, to actually live, to actually do. And so if we want to look more like Jesus, if we want to follow Jesus and be conformed to his image, then we got to know Jesus. We got to know who he is. We got to devour the Gospels. If you're not regularly reading the Bible, then today is the day to begin. And if you don't know where, start in the Gospel of Mark and just devour the Gospels. If for the next year you do nothing but read the Gospels about Jesus, you will have done more than enough. You need to know Jesus. We can't look like Jesus if we don't know what Jesus looks like. And the portrait that we have of Jesus is found in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just read them. Devour them. Let them be your source. And as you read them, just pray over your reading. God, make me look like Jesus. Make me more like Jesus. God, make me more like Jesus. When Jesus does something that's puzzling to you, mark it out. To ask somebody about it. Or to pray over it. When you see a character trait of Jesus, mark it out. And pursue that. Read it reflexively. Read it searching your own heart. God, where in the character of Jesus are my own character flaws being revealed? Where's where's the disconnect between the character I see of Jesus in the Gospels and my own personal character? God, make me more like Jesus in every way. Help me to love like Jesus, to speak like Jesus, to do the things that Jesus does. Lead me to Jesus so I can become more like him in everything that I do. Pursue Jesus above all because that is God's aim for you. Christianity is not about saving you for heaven. I know that's, that's, that's the story that a lot of us have been told. That Jesus came to save you, to forgive your sins so that one day you'll go to heaven when you die. That's a nice narrative, but it's not true. Jesus came to make you like him. Jesus came to shape your and my life to look like him. So that as we walk in the world, we're a reflection of our good and beautiful God. We're a reflection of the glory of God. And I'll tell you that living your life for Jesus, living your life to be conformed to Jesus, living your life Seeking the glory of God from your life is so much better than just waiting to go to heaven when you die. It's so much fuller. There's so much more there. And it'll lead you into places that you would never have imagined. It'll lead you to people that you would never have befriended. It'll lead you into community that you never would have engaged with. It'll build a family for you that you could never have been born into. Church, growth is one of our primary values. Growing into the image of Jesus together as we live out this life together, as we live out this life of following Jesus together. Pursue Jesus with everything you are because that's God's highest aim for you and for me and for our community. And as we live out the love of Jesus, 
as we live in line with who Jesus is, seeking his glory and his fame, seeking to become more like him, we will see God do radically radical acts of transformation in the people that we love, in the community that we're a part of. We want to see God work through us. We've got to pursue being like Jesus with everything that we've got, with God's Holy Spirit living within us and empowering us to do it knowing that we are capable of so much more than we ever imagined and we are worth so much more than we could ever have possibly grasped. Own your worth today. Live into who God calls you. and Pursue Jesus with everything you are because he pursued us with everything that he was. Thanks for tuning into the podcast this week. For more information on Christ Community Church in Southeast Denver, visit ChristCommunityDenver.org.